0: Oxford from the inside, the good, the bad, but always the truth.
1: Hey guys, um, welcome to Oxford from the inside, the good, the bad, but always the truth. Today we're joined by Jamie. Um, Would you like to introduce yourself, Jamie?
0: Hi, I'm, uh, I'm Jamie. I'm going into third year studying philosophy and linguistics, which is PPL, at Jesus College, Oxford.
1: Nice. Um, so yeah, today um, we're going to be talking about um, what is PPL? What is the degree of PPL? Um, so to start it off, uh, roughly, yeah, what is what is PPL, Jamie?
0: Yeah, so PPL is actually three degrees rolled into one. So it stands for psychology, philosophy and linguistics. But uh, when you apply, you apply to study two. So I applied to study philosophy and linguistics, hence I study that. But you could also study philosophy and psychology or psychology and linguistics um, and so it's a three-year degree uh, and it's kind of a cross between science and humanities because philosophy is a humanity but linguistics and psychology uh, are on the science side but do include some essay writing and some sort of humanities skills um, and uh, you actually do have the option to take up all three uh, that is an option after first year if you want but that's not guaranteed it's uh, kind of down to the college's discretion some colleges won't allow it uh, and it's also dependent on you know good grades etc
1: oh wow there's learned so much already that i didn't know about ppl um out of curiosity um, what made you choose philosophy and linguistics
0: sure so i mean for me i uh I mean, for a start, I don't think I would have been able to apply for a psychology course. I did not study maths or any sciences at A level, which is kind of recommended if you want to study psychology. Um, but for me, I was just personally more interested. I always knew I wanted to study philosophy kind of for like four or five years before I was applying. Um, and then I came across linguistics, I think, at like halfway through year 11. So, like one of the sixth formers gave, said, Oh, you should read this book. It's really interesting. You will like it. It's a book called uh, The Language Instinct by Steven Pinker. Really, really interesting. Um, A great overview of linguistics if anyone wants to learn a little bit more about it. I read it, thought, this this is fascinating. How could I not want to study this? I love language. Um, And it's kind of the perfect thing for me because it incorporates a little bit of psychology without having needed that maths or that science, which I didn't have. Wow, nice. Um, That
1: sounds really interesting. So you said that, if uh, I might have misheard you, that um, you've wanted to study philosophy for about four or five years. Um, what made you uh, yeah. want to study philosophy?
0: Yeah, I guess um, at school we uh, we all had to do religious studies, and then my school I was really lucky. I just got a really good teacher. I think it was in year eight or nine, uh, year nine actually. And they just they were they were really into philosophy themselves. So every time we would do it study it, they'd kind of push and push into like philosophical questions so like philosophy of religion and a bit of ethics and that sort of thing I just loved it I found it so fascinating and that was kind of when I was like okay I know I want to do philosophy certain, pardon me certain to certainly to A-level Um and then by you know by the time I was doing A-level I was like yeah this is definitely for me um, and I was reading a lot as well
1: nice nice um, so tell me about what it's like um,
0: studying philosophy at Oxford sure so I'd say that studying philosophy at Oxford is it's just fantastic because Oxford is probably like it's certainly one of the best places if not the best place to study philosophy in the UK uh, it's got the biggest faculty it's got so many specialisms um, and it's just it's, it's absolutely fantastic it has, so I, I'd say it's got a a very strong focus on what's called analytic philosophy. So, uh, certainly about 50, 60 years ago, there was a very clear divide in philosophy between what's called analytic and continental. So, the analytic tradition was ang- like Anglo-American, Britain and America, and it was a lot more, um, I guess, the I guess like um, theoretical and kind of it re- really penetrated in depth, and its focus was on clarity. Um, continental philosophy is probably more what people think. When they hear philosophy if they've not studied it. It's it's your Nietzsche, your Hegel, um, your Sartre, for example. Those kind of tend to fall under those categories. Nowadays the, the divide is much less clear, but ultimately you can't study the like those the sorts of philosophers in a great depth at Oxford. There's one module you can take called continental philosophy, but we we tend to focus on one side. So that's really important to know I'd say if you if you're like really really interested in the kind of continental side uh, then you probably don't want to come study at Oxford quite frankly because that's just not what we're about but we're really interested in a lot of Anglo-american stuff which includes people like uh, historically includes a lot of ancient Greek philosophy people like Descartes uh, Hobbes Kant those sorts of names are, are the old names and then a lot more kind of modern anglo-american philosophy so. I did. It, it's just absolutely fantastic because the the experts are there. The expert, you know, the people who are writing the articles, or writing the books, they're the ones I'm having tutorials with or getting lectures from. And it's it's just it's a it's it's a place where philosophy is happening, and it's so great to study where philosophy is happening.
1: Mm. Yeah, no, is, yeah, it sounds really interesting. Um, so you described um, about what analy- uh, analytical. Uh, philosophy is um what what makes like Nietzsche or those names like what is continental philosophy like if that makes sense
0: it's um I'd say it's more holistic and it tends to be a little bit bigger so I'd say that uh, a lot of times with analytic philosophy it's really uh, kind of drilling down and very conceptual uh, and it tends to be a little bit more just a little bit smaller, you're focusing on small, perhaps, uh, like, less areas of the debate. You know, if you're studying someone like Hegel, Hegel basically has, a, like, a theory of everything, almost, or, or Sartre, or all of these people. And once they, they tend, to each of them, to have a specific cut, two or three ideas, which they're really well-known for. Um, it's very big, and it's very grandiose, and it's, you know, they're talking about how to live, what you should do with your life, how, like, and it's a lot bigger. And I think a lot of people, including myself, really enjoy reading that. Uh, a lot of people, you know, use it with existential crises and uh, trying to find a way around life. A lot of people really enjoy it for that. Um, and I think it's 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 definitely coming back. And um, you know, I did mention the split, but ultimately, it doesn't really exist anymore as such. Um, and Oxford is starting to really incorporate has less traditional areas of analytic philosophy in so we've already got one continental philosophy paper there's probably going to be a little bit more in the future oh, we've lo- I think they're temporary papers
1: oh sorry uh, just Eastern-
0: lo-
1: we-, we lost you for a second She's um, oh, sorry.
0: repeat last yeah, so we- 10 seconds yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so we, we've we've expanded we've, we've hmm. now got two like temporary courses um, so one of them was on feminist philosophy which is a really growing and fascinating area of philosophy uh, and the other one was on Indian philosophy, which kind of focuses on um, I guess the ancient philosophy uh, which was in India, so kind of to, to match the Greek tradition that we study and we 're hoping to make this permanent, so those of those people who are listening to this and hoping to apply by the time they arrive, these will probably be permanent. they were really successful, and you know we 're constantly trying to add that sort of thing and i 'd um, say in the, you know, in the next five to ten years i 'd expect the the entirety of philosophy at Oxford to, to go from being pretty analytically focused to becoming much broader and and I think that's going to be um, one of the best things that like, one of the best things uh, to see and to be part of because if you're studying in Oxford in what will be probably about two years time if you're listening to this you will be part of that generation which widens that uh, widens that gap. Um, South
1: curiosity as well. Um, is there much um, like oriental philosophy in the course? Um...
0: So at the moment there is uh, sadly a grand total of none. Um, the Eastern philosophy was mostly in uh, the Indian philosophy paper, but uh, we it's, it's getting big in the graduate community. There's a lot of graduates they've brought on who are specifically looking at that in, and also in uh, postgraduate uh, and I think you know, Hopefully there will be um, such courses, basically courses on Chinese philosophy or Japanese philosophy very, very soon. And again, I think that would be really exciting to be part of. Um, I'm applying to do a graduate course and I would hope to be able to actually go off and think about that sort of stuff if I were to go and do a graduate course because it's really fascinating.
1: Nice, nice. Um, yeah, no, I've never, uh, I've ne- I have never knew um, about like how that analytical philosophy um existed and how the Oxford course is so centered around that so it's definitely yeah it's very useful for the viewers to know that um so what is it like um studying psychology then at Oxford
0: sure so obviously I don't study psychology um directly but my course overlaps a lot with it firstly and secondly I know a lot of people who do it because we're, we're theoretically on the same course so studying psychology at Oxford is very scientific it's kind of the first thing to say it's called experimental psychology, and that is for a reason. It's not you're not studying Freud, or uh, and it's not um, completely focused on social psychology. Although you can study social psychology, it's very experimental. It's very biological. You are going to be studying neuroscience at at times. You're going to be studying a lot of biology. Um, but I think it's it, that's probably one of its strengths. It, it, in many ways, because that's where I think the, the exciting research is being done. It's, you know, people we're uh, undergoing the ability to understand what's going on in the brain, what's going on in the mind at this, at this present time. It's, we're learning, and you're going to be learning from the experts if you're studying psychology. Uh, psychology is a, a significantly less flexible course than philosophy. Uh, as if philosophy is the most flexible, then linguistics and then psychology. The reason for that is because if you study psychology even as just half your degree you can get bps uh, accreditation so that's the british psychological society so that means that you could go on and uh, you could go on to become a psychiatrist or a psychologist and uh, you could go into research uh, and you could practice um which is really valuable because obviously many people will want to go and do that which is a fantastic thing to do especially with growing awareness around mental health So. Um, you can get that and you can do that even if you do the joint course. Uh, I think it's just that you have to have done, it's either four or five papers. I can't remember the exact number, but as a result of the fact that you have to get all of that done, they have to kind of jam pack it in, which means there's a little bit less flexibility. Um, but I think in by third year, you do get to pick a few options, which is uh, which is really good. So just to reiterate, is there like less
1: flexibility if you do
0: psychology? Is that what you're saying? Yeah there's so there's if you do psychology and the mm. psychology side is going to be less very much less flexible mm. and so let's say you did let's say you did psychology and philosophy but you wanted your BPS accreditation you wanted that um, mm. proper qualification then you could not take five philosophy papers and three psychology papers you have to take four minimum it might be five i can't remember the exact details it it changes and you can find it on the website but okay. the, the key takeaway is, you know, I've for example, I take five philosophy and three linguistics. You wouldn't be able to do that if you're doing psychology if you wanted that accreditation. And those psychology modules are probably gonna all be chosen for you. You're not gonna be able to pick and choose, oh, I'm interested in this, but I'm not interested in that. So if you go on the website and you think, oh well, half of this is interesting and half of this isn't, uh, don't don't come here because you're gonna have to study that half. Whereas with philosophy, like if you look at all the modules, you don't have to study three quarters of them sort of thing. Thus, if you're not interested in half of them, as long as those aren't the, the core modules which you have to study, which we'll get into in a bit a bit more depth in a sec, then, uh, you know, it's fine. You, you have to study that.
1: Nice. Yeah. That's again, very useful information. Um, so uh, lastly, um, how about what is it like studying linguistics uh, at Oxford.
0: Yeah, linguistics is very much the the middleman. It's everything I've said about psychology and everything I've said about philosophy. It's bang in the middle of that. It's still reasonably scientific, but you know, you should know that I didn't didn't study science to A level. I also didn't study math to A level, and I have got on fine, um, and it hasn't hindered me in any way. So it's 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 this amazing blend of um, science and humanities, which is why I love it so much because half of my course is essentially very similar to psychology uh, because psychology and linguistics overlap greatly. I mean, psychology really started growing first through the field of linguistics. It was kind of like the first uh, view into the mind. And then psychology has started to think about a lot of different areas, a lot of different disciplines beyond just language. But language in the brain is one of the you know core aspects of psychology. So even if you're just studying linguistics, you're getting loads of psychology anyway. On the other hand... The Oxford course uh, isn't at that like that scientific in linguistics. Um, for those of you who do know what linguistics is, uh, they'll, you may know that in America, which is probably the biggest place for linguistics, they are really scientific. They involve a lot of computer science and they involve a lot of scientific analysis. We're, at Oxford, we're not quite that scientific, um, but we're a lot more scientific than if you were selling languages because linguistics um, is actually a science itself. So it's the, it's the study of languages as a whole. So it's, it's, it is just important to note that if you've never studied linguistics before, which no one probably no one will, because it's not really offered at school, it's uh, potentially not what you think it is. It's very, very worth having read at least one book, maybe two. Um, the Steven Pinker linguistics book I gave uh, I, I mentioned is a really good example. Um, the Introduction to Language by Fronkins, I think it's its eleventh edition. Now that's a great one. You study that at Oxford. Um, there, there are a few more which you can see on the Oxford website. But those are the t- those are the two I would I would suggest dipping into because um, it's it's almost something I can't explain in five minutes. It's mm-hmm. of its own it's, it's its own thing in a way. So you definitely do need to have read something before you come and study it because if you don't know what you're um, studying uh, you're very likely to end up not enjoying it basically uh, and you probably won't get past you anyway
1: mm, yeah that is a such a very good lesson for uh anyone applying for any degree um to look at the course uh thoroughly and ask themselves do they see themselves enjoying that for sure um i yeah i mean i don't i don't know much about linguistics or psychology i never i always thought of philosophy and psychology, for some reason, having more overlap than um, philosophy and linguistics. So do you you want to talk us through how philosophy and linguistics overlap and then philosophy and psychology and the overlaps between
0: the three in general? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll start on the philosophy side of the spectrum. Um, The philosophy of language is a massive area. A lot of people will be interested in it. Um, Oxford's a very good specialist in it. Uh, and, the, you know, what, uh, what that is kind of questioning is, like, what, how does language have meaning? Um, and there's a lot of very theoretical debates in that, and it's linked to logic, which is very similar to computer science. So that's kind of one side of it. Uh, how that links to lo- linguistics is the, the field of semantics, which is uh, kind of the other, the other side of the coin of philosophy of language. They're, they're so closely related. They're almost the same thing. They just kind of take slightly different approaches. So semantics is also, how does language have meaning? Um, and it kind of creates a mathematical model, almost, uh, which build, which is, um, which looks into how it is that the, the, the building blocks, each, wor- each word and sentence of language, add together to, to create meaning. So that's what we study at Oxford in particular. You can also do um, what's called lexical semantics, which is looking at how words have meaning. But sentence semantics kind of says, okay, well, uh, we, you know, if we have the cat and the hat, we have the, we have cat, we have in, we have the, we have hat. We know all these words and we all know they have meaning, but how do they add up together to get the kind of joint meaning that they have? So that's kind of uh, the main area, I would say, where, where they overlap in philosophy and linguistics. But then with linguistics and psychology, I mean, it's obvious, very obvious, really. It's how, how does language work in the brain? And you can see that from two levels. So it's kind of called psycholinguistics and neurolinguistics. Psycholinguistics is the psychological way of describing it. So that tends to um, avoid using, like, terms about the brain. So it's not going to tell you about the hypothalamus or neurons. It's going to try and give it in more abstract terms. It's going to tell you about, like, the lexicon or... Um, pathways or something like that and then on the other hand you have neurolinguistics and that's all those like fun but bi- neurobiological terms the neurons the the, the transmitters etc so there's understanding like how does that, how does language actually work and then i would say almost all three of them work together to to um, pinpoint something called cognitive science so i studied a module called the philosophy of cognitive science so i now know, i'm now kind of an expert on it but it's some of the most interesting questions. It's kind of thinking about, you know, are there modules in the mind? Is there an area of the mind which is dealing with sight, and then an area dealing with language, and then an area dealing with uh, movement and fear or stuff like that? It's asking, you know, how do we ha- how are we conscious? How does consciousness even work? And is there a language which we're thinking in? Um, there's, there's this kind of idea called the language of thought hypothesis. So really interesting ideas. And I think that's oftentimes um what people are so absolutely fascinated by those are the big questions which drive people to study any of these three subjects and that's what's so fascinating about this course is it is the course that brings it all together so you can not only study it from all angles but you're really going to hit the core of these questions i think if you study them alone or if you study ppe or you don't study this combination you're not going to get to the core of those sorts of really fascinating questions and that—that's really what's so great about it—is that it hits the overlap at the core, um, and that makes it so interesting. As as well as the fact that you're studying it kind of from different angles with different perspectives.
1: Wow, that's yeah, quite, uh, it is very interesting how they all um, overlap so much of each other. And I mean, so I just recently talked to someone about um, what is PPE and his argument for philosophy being the underlying of all um, disciplines but it sounds, it sounds quite interesting how even philosophy can be seen to be broken down further with uh, linguistics and psychology like, depending on I guess like what questions you're asking and then what do they actually yeah. mean uh, using linguistics for that it sounds
0: I would, I would entirely agree with yeah, your friend JPP. I mean I think you know, the thought of the cognitive science the, the module I took was basically saying what are the foundations of psychology and linguistics and uh, actually in our linguistics degree the only module that everyone has to take is called, is called Paper A currently, it's going to undergo a little bit of change, so it's, it will be different to what I have studied um, but it, it's basically questioning, like, what is linguistics, what should linguistics be how has it developed, and that is in its linguistics itself, so I think that's one of the best things about Oxford as a whole to answer the kind of all three questions, is Oxford if you're studying PPL at Oxford you're not just being told you're not just being indoctrinated, which is um, to a lesser extent can happen if you're not really questioning it. Here, you know, even like what we're studying has to be, what should we be studying and you know, why are we studying this? And that's really interesting. And so, yeah, I think philosophy, I mean, historically speaking, his philosophy actually gave birth both to linguistics and to psychology. So it's, it's, a, great, it's a great thing to study amongst the, among, um, alongside the two. Sorry. <laughs> um, I was just wondering... Um... Out of in
1: interest um, or if you knew like is it easier to answer certain like uh, philosophical questions in other languages to- due to their like different language and different words
0: yeah um yes yeah i mean i think this kind of this is this is a really interesting question unfortunately it is not something i think you would directly study at oxford i should say There are a lot of very interesting questions alongside. For example, uh, there's this thing called the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis, which asks: Do people think differently as a result of their language, like the language Mm -hmm. they're speaking? These aren't subject; these aren't questions that you're going to directly tackle. But I cannot think of a way to be better placed to tackle them than having studied them for three years altogether. Um, So, but sorry to to answer your question, just I just don't want people to get the wrong idea, like that's what the sort of thing you're going to study. But it's really interesting question. I think the answer is, um, yeah, yeah. in a way. I mean, if you uh, look at some, co- especially continental philosophers, um, but even some philosophers like Kant, they are known for having really difficult terminology because the ideas they're trying to express are literally completely brand new. Uh, if any of you have ever come across Heidegger, who's a, a philosopher from sort of 19... 19- 20 to 1950-ish. He did go on a little bit later as well. He is well known for having absolutely ridiculous language. You know, some of his some of his expressions are sort something like um, "being in the world." That's a single word, and he would just use these, and they were they were German terms because he just and there are even crazy ones. That's just like one of his main ones. They're just absurd because he just didn't know how to express his language otherwise, and it's extremely difficult to study someone like Heidegger even can't if you're not studying the german at undergrad you can but you, you'd have to you know kind of pay special attention to kind of the notes at the bottom of good text saying oh you know, he used this word or this word and, and what it means And i think what that, that what that tells us is what language is being used really matters because every every like word you use comes with connotations it comes with a history behind it and you're kind of Forced to have that meaning attached to it, which you might not want. That's why a lot of philosophers use these ridiculous words because they were like, "No, I want, I want new meaning." Um, and I think sometimes there are just there are just words, you know, like Schadenfreude, you know, the, which is the, the pleasure of watching others suffer in German. That's what it means. That those are the sort of words which they're just untranslatable, um, and a lot of untranslatable words. And I think. Um, you know, if you're trying to talk about different things or in different traditions, it can be a lot easier if you speak, speak the language. But fundamentally, I think every language is capable of doing philosophy to the same level. But you know, communicative issues can can arise if you're not the using the same language as your contemporaries or the people you're studying.
1: No, yes, yeah, very much sold on that point. It makes a lot of sense, and it's very interesting as well. Um, all the terms and how uh, and especially yeah, I found it really interesting how um, philosophers in the past have wanted to invent new words sorry I've, to... uh, I've
0: lost you for a second Sean um,
1: can you hear me now hello yeah oh sorry uh, we had a few technical issues but I'm back um, but yeah no it's really interesting how um, to like Half philosophers in the past have made new words just, just so that they didn't have, weren't attached to any past, history, historical connotations. Um, yeah. So mo- moving more towards the structure of the course, um, what is, how is
0: a PPL course structured? So the PPL course uh, has quite an interesting structure. The current structure is that you study your prelims, which is kind of your, uh, the, the part of your degree that does not count towards your final grade in two terms so that's less than a year and then you spend the rest of the time working towards your final exams um however by the time that people are applying watching this that will no longer be the case and they will have normal three-term prelims that is it would be a whole year that's in line with most other courses um and then you would spend the next two years of your degree uh um studying for your final exams the exception to that rule because there's always an exception, is psychology. Because psychology, being a science degree, tends to have exams every single year. So the current situation is that, in, the, at the start of, the final term of your second year, you would have a set of exams, which I wouldn't sit because I don't study do psychology. But all psychology students sit it. So if you sat, if you were part of me, if you were sit, um, studying philosophy and psychology. You would not sit philosophy exams in second year, but you would sit psychology exams in second year. And those do count towards your final grade. And then in third year, uh, all courses have exams. Uh, as with all other courses, we also have kind of mock exams at the start of most terms, but those don't count towards your final grade. They don't really matter. That's mostly about checking your own progress and making sure kind of you're up to scratch with each terms learned. But that's the structure. Um, and the only exception to that is that in all three disciplines, you have the ability to do thesis or, or a kind of a research project in linguistics and in psychology. And those are obviously kind of like coursework, and you, you don't do them at the end of the year in an exam structure. They are, they're something you work on for a couple of terms. Okay. On top of that, uh, the final thing to say is that in psychology, there's like some lab work, and I think there's also some like research projects that you have to do, like smaller ones, which you have to do. And which aren't in exam format.
1: Nice. Um, does I does the thesis replace an exam? Um, yeah.
0: So the the way it works is, oh, I should have actually said sorry. So for prelims, uh, you all study. There's there's five uh, courses, and everyone studies three, and that includes people studying experimental psychology, which is like just as a single degree. Those courses are statistics, which everyone does. Introduction to philosophy, obviously only people doing philosophy do that. Introduction to linguistics, introduction to psychology, and neurophysiology. And neurophysiology is only done by people doing experimental psychology. So I took introduction to linguistics, introduction to philosophy, and statistics, obviously. Um, And then on top of that, for your finals, which is the the exams which count towards your final grade, you take eight modules, as I alluded to earlier. And as I said earlier, you can either take a 4-4 split or a 5-3 split in either direction. Um, I also did say that you can take up the tripartite course. I I wouldn't worry about that, but basically you can just mix and match how you like. Um, But again, you're not guaranteed to be able to do that. And even if you don't do the tripartite course, you can borrow papers. So let's say I wanted to do philosophy and linguistics. I could take one paper from psychology but come out with a philosophy and linguistics degree. So I could do four philosophy, three linguistics, one psychology paper, for example. Um, And just because it's really, really fun and it's a very confusing course, uh, even if I don't borrow a paper, which I haven't, I've taken five philosophy papers, and three linguistics papers, um, some of those papers might be related to the other course. So I'm taking psycholinguistics, which obviously has a lot of psychology, but it is a linguistics paper. Similarly, I took the philosophy of cognitive science, which is a very psychological paper, but it's under philosophy. So the, the kind of moral of the story is it's really flexible as a degree and you can really mix and match as you like and you can get what you want out of it because even though it sounds a little bit complicated, it is designed in such a way that it allows you to study good combinations which really work well together. If you do a thesis, as I have done, that counts as one of your eight papers. Um, so I'm doing a philosophy thesis So I'm doing four modules, a thesis, and then three linguistics papers. Um, And then, yeah, I think that's kind of confusing, but I hope that makes sense.
1: No, no, it made lots of sense. It was very, uh, very comprehensive and clear description about the core structure. Um, What, uh, out of curiosity, what's your thesis about?
0: Okay, so my thesis is going to be about the philosophical concept of composition, the the best way to explain this is using an example, a, a nice example called the ship of Theseus. So imagine there's a just for a kind of ease of explanation, imagine there's a ship with a thousand wooden pieces, and that we'll just say that's all it's made of, just for you know ease of access. Now the ship goes, uh, Theseus sails sh- it around, it comes back, it's a little bit damaged, so they replace one of the planks. I think we'd all agree it's probably still the ship of Theseus. Um, So you can kind of do that a thousand times and then it's like, oh, well, actually, we've got none of the original ship of Theseus is still there. Is it still the ship of Theseus? Some people would say yes. Um, However, uh, Hobbes, one of the philosophers, kind of threw a span in the works and he said, okay, but what if we collected all the old pieces and put them together? Would that be the ship of Theseus or would the the one that we sailed back be the ship of Theseus? And that brings up lots of very exciting ideas about what's called composition, whether or not parts make up a whole. Um, and I'm going to be writing about that. I won't uh, explain the entire thing; it's quite complex. But I'm going to be writing on that topic.
1: Damn, that sounds really interesting, especially the example. As I don't even know, I don't even know what to think. Um, yeah, I yeah, I think I think most people won't rush to an answer for sure. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, um, yeah, very interesting. Um, so the next question, um, more about the core, uh, core structure. What are the work hours like, um, and how, and do they vary year um, year
0: after year? Yeah. So they they vary year after year, and they also vary between between the courses. Um, giving this answer is, um, I kind of purposefully Kind of ensure that we've mentioned this because uh, there's basically no answer in a way because because of the because how different the course can be depending on what modules you take what um, what pairing you take how much you're you're being set etc what which term you're in it's it's almost impossible to answer but I will uh, give it a shot in my first term I had about um, thirteen contact hours so I think that was. Four or five hours of tutorial and six or seven hours of lectures. So it's twelve or thirteen hours. It, it worked out to so, um, a week. In my second term, it was pretty similar, and then my third term, it dropped off to like four hours a week, which was uh, two uh, two hours of tutorials and two hours of lectures. And it's been around that most of this year. Um, it most of my second year, I should say. So in my second year, I had kind of like five or six hours. Uh, which in both my first and second terms which was about one or two hours of tutorials and three or four hours of lectures and then in the term just gone, Trinity term which we did remotely I um, actually only had two contact hours which were both tutorials and no lectures so it really varies is, is my point I've had two hours, I've had 13 hours um, and yeah, it's, it's just pretty crazy in that way the reason I only I kind of continuously went down is because I really took a very humanities-heavy approach. Even in choosing philosophy and linguistics, you can tell I'm more on the humanities side. And then I chose to avoid lab work and practicals, and I, I, I chose to basically to be writing essays. Um, so it, it really, really depends, uh, depending, uh, like, based on what you're studying. Psychology tends to be more hours uh, because you're doing labs for one thing, and secondly because they have a lot of lectures, as scientists tend to do, and uh, I'd say linguistics is in the middle and then philosophy is the lowest hours because you're spending most of your time just doing independent reading. The key to basically acknowledge is that kind of no matter what, how many contact hours you have, you're doing the same overall amount of hours because you're just making up for it in independent work. For me that's mostly reading, making notes, and essay writing. So I I would spend normally about 38, 40 hours a week um, reading and writing. And then, you know, two hours um, at tutorials and maybe two or three hours or something like that at lectures. Nice. Um, So um,
1: what would you say is um, your favourite thing about the course? And do you have any favourite modules um, as well?
0: Sure. Um, I would say that my favourite thing about the course is, I'll give two favourites. One is kind of what I said earlier, this idea that um, you're really hitting the core issues head on by studying all three. There are just kind of weird topics which don't really fit into any of these degrees alone. That's why you couldn't study it in PPE. You couldn't study it in just experimental psychology, really. You couldn't really study it in just a linguistics degree. You can only really study it, uh, study those issues, which I find so fascinating. Ideas like free will and consciousness by doing this degree, in my opinion, and uh, that's one of the best things. You, you, these interesting things, I'm tacking them. on. The second thing is the flexibility and the kind of the variation in my degree. I, you know, I've studied so many different things. I, I've done statistics, which was really fascinating. I thought I was going to hate it. It was really, really interesting and helped me understand the world. I've also done papers on. I did a whole paper on Kant, which was really fascinating. Uh, you know, I could have done feminist philosophy. Unfortunately, there were limited places, so I didn't get on it. But, um, but you know, by the time people watching this, it it'll be a full course, which kind of will have much bigger numbers. Um, I've studied Mill's utilitarianism, and on, on the same time, I'm also going to be studying psycholinguistics, looking at people's brain structures. So, I've I've just studied so many different things from so many different angles, uh, which is. Honestly been so fast, like really, really fascinating. I love the fact that I have variation. And I also have variation in the type of things I'm doing, especially in first year. I, I had work, like problem sheets. I had like maths with the statistics. I had a couple of labs. Um, and I also had essays and reading. So uh, I think that in both terms, in the content and the um, sort of uh, forms of learning I'm using and the forms of answering I'm using, there's so much variation. Nice, wow.
1: Um and um there's a, a lot of interesting things that you're saying. Um is there um anything particularly interesting that um you found about um um the modules you were talking about in terms of like cat kind of like what did you find specifically interesting about uh Mills utilitarianism or Kant's or etc or the feminist yeah, philosophy? Totally.
0: Yeah, so I mean, let's let's start with Kant, I guess. And Kant's probably uh, is certainly one of the most important philosophers ever, and arguably um, maybe ancient Greek philosophers aside, probably the most important philosopher. Um, he spawned kind of all the continental philosophers I spoke about earlier. Almost all of their thought is. Um, very heavily influenced by Kant and at the same time he's also influenced the entirety of the analytic tradition He was kind of like the last bastion before there was a split um, So he really helps if you, if you want to understand Heidegger and uh, existentialism But he also really helps if you want to understand, uh, you know, the art, example I gave of thesis is ship If you want to understand what knowledge is and how we can have knowledge and I think that philosophy is possibly one of the most influential in the world today. Uh, I would argue it, it, it really just, it just seeps into everything we have today, um, which is absolutely fascinating uh, to me. You know, his ethics is also extremely important. And if you study Kant, you will you'll have a really great understanding of what that ethical system is. And, you know, to, to give one example, um, there's a debate in, about climate change in, in people who are environmentalists. The debate is this, should we do, um the thing the, the the sort of course of actions which will solve the environmental crisis as quickly as possible no matter what or should we do it in the right way like must is it like it might slow us down but do we also need to be tackling things like racism and uh you know the sort of issues that black lives matter brought up and it's a really interesting debate i think there are you know there are valid points on both sides you know some people say, listen, racism is a really important issue, but we won't be alive if we don't sort out the climate justice. So we really need to get that sorted. We've only got 12 years. That sort of debate, which is you know, so important, it's in the environmentalist campaign, but it's, in, like, it's at the core of all of these debates. That comes from Kant. One of those positions, the idea of, no, we need to do it in the right way, that's Kant. So that's just one example of how uh, his thinking is, is in the veins of society. Uh, I spoke a lot about philosophy of cognitive science, which is also really interesting. You know, I studied consciousness, I studied delusions, which is just like so interesting. Free will. Um, I did like the language of thought and just kind of thinking about how one can even have science, like how how is how does science work? How do we use our tools to get knowledge, especially with regards to the mind, because we can't see into the mind. That's the sort of stuff which. Um, it really makes me tick, personally, and if it makes you tick, I think PPL could very well be for you.
1: Ah, oh, it is. It sounds really interesting. I was wondering, um, so you gave the book suggestions for linguistics. Are there any, from like, uh, the current like, uh, reading like, material there, are, there is, exists for philosophy and psychology, what's the most accessible material for someone who hasn't had much experience in reading philosophy or psychology?
0: Yeah, um, oh, I actually don't know for psychology. I would, I would, again, oh, yeah, of course, yeah, for all of them, I would suggest you check the website, mm. uh, because mm. that, like, Oxford obviously knows what it's talking about. For me personally, I've read a lot of the introductory philosophy books. Simon Blackburn's book called Think that would be top of my list, personally. I think that's a really, really great introductory book. I wouldn't necessarily read it first, it's a little bit technical. Uh, and it can be a little bit confusing So the first book I would read is called um, A Very Short I think it's called A Very Short Introduction to Philosophy By Nigel Warburton It's by Nigel Warburton and it's not the Oxford University Press one um, okay. That's really really good It's very short It's under 100 pages I'm pretty sure But it's, it's a really good introduction And the third book I would suggest Is an older book called The Problems of Philosophy by Russell, uh, By Bertrand Russell it was. I think it was published in 1905 or, some, or thereabouts. Uh, I would read that third. It's again slightly more technical but it's an absolute classic in terms of introducing you into philosophy. So those are the three I would read for philosophy.
1: Nice. Um, so lastly um, our last question today um, how did you find the tutorial system beneficial for PPL specifically?
0: Yeah. Um, I think there's kind of two answers here. So firstly, on the um, slightly more scientific side, it really allows you, the um, the class system and the tutorial system really allows you to deal with the problems in your understanding in a way that I just don't think you can get through reading and through lectures even, to be honest. Because it what it allows you to do is to have that interaction with a tutor so that they can very quickly understand exactly what it is about your understanding which is which is deficient and so instead of crawling through five hours of material in 10 seconds they can they can find and correct like something you misunderstand and this is really useful for me when we study logic everyone at Oxford has to study logic if they're doing philosophy uh, which is quite mathematical and whilst I didn't excessively struggle with it I think a lot of students including myself can find it a little bit challenging at times and so it was really, really useful for that. I uh, at my college, and it's not true of all colleges, we had eight two-hour classes, and so it was really useful for that. Um it, that was also really useful for linguistics where we were doing like grammar um which kind of isn't what it sounds like it's called syntax and it's um really fun I don't have the time to kind of explain what it is but I really need I really needed that tutorial system kind of to explain to me what it was and how it worked. And um, similarly, when I was doing phonetics, we, like, you actually like, have to like, make weird sounds and play with like larynxes and weird acoustic equipment. And that was really useful, Like having that one-on-one where someone can actually really pry that out to you. On the other hand, I would say in philosophy, it's a dialogue. You know, if you've, if you've ever read any Plato, if you've ever read uh, you know, Descartes, they will always say it's a discourse, it's a dialogue. It, it needs to be interactive. And if it's a lecture or reading, it's a one-way, it's almost a one-way street. So I don't really think you can do philosophy maximally or optimally without having that ability to discuss, to debate, as normally you would have a tutorial partner. So you get to debate with your partner and with um, your professor who's an expert, and that really helps uh, sharpen your philosophical clarity, your argumentative strength, and I think that's uh, is that's probably the most valuable thing I've got from the tutorial system, that ability to interact. And it just it helps you develop your own ideas. You're not being indoctrinated, you're not being told this is what Aristotle thought or this is the right answer to Theseus' ship's problem. You can say, No, this is what I think, and and have that debate. And that really helps shape your thinking, but also develop your thinking.
1: Wow, no, yeah, that sounds uh very interesting, very useful as well. Um, to be able to talk to someone like a an expert that can actually um like clear up like spots how your arguments are invalid and then and then i guess over time conversing with them and improve improve your arguments um and yeah and all the, uh, all the other things you said about how useful the tutorial system i mean i personally for my degree very different chemistry obviously but um the, the tutorial system certainly saves me on a the, yeah the being able to clear up any any misunderstandings with a world leading expert is a very, very valuable resource. But unfortunately, um yep. as interesting as this is, um, it's all that we've got time for today. Um we've yep. learned, we've learned I've learned lots of interesting stuff. My mind's I mean I'm definitely gonna be thinking be thinking about the fit the shit problem. Um I don't yeah <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if I'll be confident to answer. Yeah I don't I'd I no mean, my instinct says the the first ship is still the ship that, I don't know, I'd have
0: to think about it. As this Fascinating. What, you, can, you can watch YouTube videos or lectures online for free if, <laughs> if, you're, if you're interested or you can hit me up if you want. <laughs> um, but I should say, there are obviously I've spoken from a perspective which hasn't fully understood psychology as a course at Oxford because I don't study it. Um, if you go on to, I will, we'll add the links in the description, but Basically, we're going, uh, I did the Oxford Open Day, so I was in this video with about four or five other students, as well as tutors. And there's so much information there. In the description of those YouTube videos, as well, we have links. We we've just we've said what we're answering at every single point, so you can you can just jump to the question you want answers. We've also done um, so we've also spoken especially with tutors about the application process, so that you know that's from Oxford officially it gives you so much more information as well. It gives you more perspectives. I really recommend checking that out. We'll add, we'll add those links. Um, and they can be really useful if you want to know more.
1: Yeah. Especially for anyone applying for looking to apply for PPL for more, wanting to find more information about the course. So i definitely check that out too. Um, yeah. so yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for the views for watching. Um, if you don't follow us on Instagram, um, it's at, at Oxford from the inside. We're on YouTube, Facebook, um, Spotify and Apple and Google Podcasts, as well, lots of platforms. But um, yeah, I hope you will stay safe. Thank you, Jamie, for a very interesting conversation. Um, Thank you for having me. I know, let me see. And, um, and yeah, uh, we'll see you guys next time.